What's up? What's up? What's up, y'all? This is Monday Robinson. I'm filling in for the uh, Dr. Richie, the Dr. Richie, and I'm joined by Rayana, who is Rayana is the best Rebel HQ contributor, and I can say that because I practice at being her. I'm the black man version of Rayana. What's up, sis? <laughs> I'm so glad to be on the show. I was so happy uh, when I saw this morning that it was going to be you on with me because I feel like we haven't done a show together, you know, in forever since you started uh, hosting. You know, they usually meet us on different hours of the power panel, so we usually don't get to to do it together. So I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, indeed, it's, and and I'm I'm glad to be here with you today because I always enjoy uh, the points that you make, especially since we got a lot of doozy stories. And speaking of doozy stories, let's jump right into it. Uh, five more Memphis cops violated policy in Tyree Nichols' case. According to recent release documents from the city of Memphis, Tennessee, five additional Memphis police officers violated department policy. Look at that. But we're not, but they were not fired. Following the arrest and fatal beating of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols, who was allegedly pulled over for reckless driving last year. Nichols died January 10th, 2023, three days after he was beaten pepper sprayed and shot on January 7th by former Memphis police officers, Justin Smith, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., Dimitri Haley, and Tadarius Bean, all of whom were initially fired and later charged for Nichols' death. Why sixth officer, Preston Hemphill, was also fired, he was not criminally charged. That is a list of police officers, y'all, that they, they, we can say they were pepper sprayed and beat them, they actually just tortured this brother. The Associated Press reported that, including in the latest documents from the city of Memphis, which was uh, which last month released 21 additional hours of footage from the night of the beating, our, our personnel files for terminated Memphis officers, police officers, and fire department employees. This is ridiculous. All the first responders jumped in. A witness statement, email. Uh, exchange between police and city officials and internal police investigation files. This is according to Ashley Williams over at the Atlanta Black Star. Memphis uh, Mayor Young said in a statement uh, that the release of the additional documents serve as a commitment to transparency from the city's administration, adding, quote, we understand the importance of releasing these documents to the public. According to the AP, a coalition of uh, media organizations have pressed the city to release more information, citing the First Amendment, which led to the release of additional hours of footage and audio on January 30th. Documents show five additional officers received eternal affairs reprimand that included body camera violation and not completing or inaccurately completing documentation. It also showed that the officer who were involved or who were arrested, Haley Bean, Martin Mills, and Justin Smith were tested for drugs and their boots, their boots were collected for evidence. Hempel also had to be urine tested for drugs, the documents show. Again, this is Ashley at Atlanta Black Star. Going on, there's more y'all. An internal investigative uh, report from shortly before midnight on January 7th showed Nichols was hospitalized on a ventilator in the ICU and had a bump on his head, a bump on his head. As noted in the report, Nichols was reportedly uh, with Lieutenant uh, Dwayne Smith, who is pictured here at the hospital. Smith was the supervisor on the scene who was allowed to retire. Listen to this, allowed to retire before he was fired. Let's just stop right here for a second. Ravana, I, and I know uh, the mayor of, of Memphis, and this is absolutely the damning part to me. To say that the city is being transparent is absolutely 
uh, fanciful with words that I would just go as far as saying it's a lie. Because if you were being transparent, you would need a coalition of media organizations pressing you to release those documents and to find out now that police are not, the police in Memphis are not just watching people beat people. It's the police department, it's the fire department and other first responders. And now we have five new people introduced into this case who were not charged. This is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, what say you? I mean, it's completely disturbing and just shows, uh, you know, a complete lack of accountability uh, from the not just the police department, but a, a culture of uh, lacking accountability in Memphis, you know, in the, these public services, what should be jobs that are meant to be serving the people. They're refusing to be accountable to those individuals. And I think it's what's really disturbing is, uh, you know, when this. Uh, when they murdered Tyree Nichols, I'm not afraid to say that it was a murder. They murdered him. Uh, the video was released shortly after, and we all saw it. And there was a lot of public outrage briefly. Um, but then they started doing their spin work. They started doing the, you know, uh, the the work to change the media narrative. And there really hasn't been a lot of focus and attention on trying to secure accountability, trying to get a semblance of justice in this case. And that's how these other officers were able to fly under the radar, uh, because that's and it's important that you know, and and shows like this one and, you know, others on the network at TYT and activists online, you know, have been trying to, <laughs> to, to point this out and trying to keep attention on, you know, not just this murder, but all uh, tons of other instances of police brutality and violent police murders to get full accountability. Um, but there's a lot of money that goes into the spin for police departments. And just as an example, uh, here in Chicago, there's a former police chief who the police department deploys to pretend to be an eyewitness to any instances where there was a you know alleged police brutality and he'll be interviewed on the news and his accounts will be uh, you know promoted th all through you know right wing or you know right leaning media here in the city despite the fact that he's never there he's never an actual witness to the crime he just shows up and pretends he was at the behest of the uh, public relations for the police department and chicago's not the only city like that it's really hard to combat this media narrative which is why it's so important for shows like this uh you know to to focus on that and try to put pressure on for accountability yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And the lack of accountability and the spin didn't even take two weeks or a month to start. It started that night because mm -hmm. per the documents, one of the officers, Smith, told Rovon Wells, who was Nichols' mother, at her home that Nichols was intoxicated and asked if he was known to take any narcotics. Wells, this is uh, Nichols' mother, said he occasionally smoked a little marijuana to which Smith responded, well, nah, he owns something else than marijuana. According to the documents, he also told uh, the mother during the conversation that Nichols was par uh, was with paramedics and was going to jail on a DUI charge. Again, that's according to Atlanta Black Star. However, a statement from Hemphill in the report, ain't nothing in the car. I quote that, ain't nothing in the car. So I don't know why or what he was trying to hide or just on something. Seemed to contradict court filings from the officer's defense attorneys alleging that there were hallucinogens, substance, along with stolen credit cards and debit cards in Nichols' car. This is according to the commercial appeal. Listen, a witness who told investigators about what she saw the night Nichols was beating or got beat, uh, or we should say murdered, right? Even though it was three days later. She said she saw the police activity outside of her home on the street where we never really have anything happen. 
According to the report, the witness says she saw a person lying on the ground and five minutes later, paramedics arrived. Dude wasn't budging. Dude, of course, in this case, is Nichols. Um, the witness also said that. I was like, oh my God, I think he's dead. It took three or four officers to sit Nichols, uh, who, who the witness said was wearing short handcuffs and leaned him on the back of a car. The EMT, the EMT guy lifted his hand and it fell. It fell really or real hard. And I said, oh my God, they just raised his arm and it fell. The witness said, that's when I, I'm like, man, something's wrong with dude. Dude, of course, again, re she's referring to Nichols. The commercial appeal reported another finding that conflicted with the shown uh, that was shown in the video footage. After struggling with the suspect, Detective T. Bean, this guy was a detective, uh, utilized soft hand techniques with a closed hand, which was not effective. The suspect continued to resist office, uh, officers in which additional officers made to the scene to place the suspect in custody. According to a response to resistance form, which officers have to fill out anytime there's a use of force during an arrest. However, however, the body cam that Rivana was just talking about and that we all saw, the body cam footage shows something different. The video shows officers repeatedly punching and kicking nickels, which are examples of hard hand techniques used by officers. And that, of course, is coverage according to Atlanta Black Star. This is absolutely what's wrong with policing in this country. We give these people guns, tasers, sticks made of lead to do nothing but terrorize black communities, brown communities, and people marginalized in general. Uh, while you will not believe it right now if you're watching TV, but I'm from the South and the redneck communities where I'm from don't get along with police officers. We've seen this rise where police and rednecks are looking like their best friends in, in the MAGA age. That is not the case. Um, so this idea that policing is working in this country, if you believe it's working, it may be working just as it was designed, but it's not working to protect regular people, uh, Ravana. Yeah, I mean, absolutely not. And I mean, every aspect of the story is really disturbing, but I want to highlight the excellent reporting from Atlanta Black Star here and the journalists that have really been keeping the pressure on the department to get all of this information, to, to get access to these documents, uh, to get the increased uh, amount of footage. Of course, what the department did was release a ton of it all at once so that it was hard to parse through. Um, but regardless, these journalists put in the time and the effort to get this information to us. And at a time where, you know, the field of journalism is suffering major layoffs, entire media organizations are shutting down. It's so important that uh, we all support uh, journalism and we support this type of uh, news media so that we can continue to hold these people to account. Because this is one of the few ways that people get justice in this country when we have a corrupt legal system. We have a corrupt system of policing uh, that is these outlets like Atlanta Black Star. And it is shows like indisputable that when we can shine a light on these issues, sometimes we actually are able to see accountability and justice. I think you're absolutely right. And the fact that, you know, you have shows uh, like Indisputed, which is one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing show, we just crossed a million subscribers. And it's, I think it's because of that hunger for people to actually look for sources that are providing something alter, alternate to this narrative. Because a lot of the time you see on mainstream media where people just run whatever the police are, are saying and to just give them space and they automatically assume there's nothing going on wrong or something had to happen. A North Carolina school doors was decorated with colored and white 
for Black History Month. That's right, y'all. You're looking at something that was not from 1947. Per News 1, West Charlotte High School in North Carolina has been reprimanded by its school district for having a pair of doors inside the buildings decorated as being colored and white entrances last week in a Black History Month commemoration going wrong. The rival photo on the door show a makeshift sign above them reading Sears Department Store 1930. I don't know who the hell thought this was a good idea, but this is just tragic beyond tragic. While there was no context provided with the photo, if any of the annual Black History failures are in, in uh, any indication, teachers and or administrators at West Charlotte High School apparently thought it would be a good idea to show its students what racial segregation was like in a state with a history of resisting uh, the racial integration of schools. And of course, that is a, according to News One editor. Per WCCB TV News, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, which oversees West Charlotte, stated the school district is required to provide social studies and history lessons to all of our students in an age appropriate manner. Well, this ain't it. Teachers at West Charlotte uh, High School decorated doors that displayed inappropriate content. This activity is not aligned at, to state standards or with CMS curriculum and approved lesson plans. This is, of course, is a statement. Uh, from the Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, according to WCCB TV. They continued, once school leadership was made aware of the doors, here come the, here come the, minimize, the minimizing of trauma. Watch this. Uh, once school leadership was made aware of the doors, the displays were immediately removed. This happened over a course of a few hours in one day on February 14, 2024. Moving forward, the district teachers will be retrained in the specific social study curriculum practices that can be utilized in lesson plans to teach students. Again, this is a statement from Charlotte Mecklenburg School. And of course, of course, this isn't the first time a so-called school Black History Month lesson had stirred outrage. Or last year, a Miami preschool, preschool came under fire for putting toddlers in blackface and the parents only found out after photos of the school or the children were sent in a group chat. Look at this picture. This picture you're looking at, of course, is from uh, CNN. And it also, last year, taken in several steps further. This is ridiculous. Ohio Middle School decided it was a good idea uh, for educational uh, purposes to show an image of an orangutan eating watermelon displayed on green screen behind students reading Black Historical Facts to recognize Black History Month. That again is, of course, according to News One editor. Those instances follow a New York school which apologized for serving fried chicken and watermelon. My God, for a Black History Month uh, lunch, a Black History Month lunch, and, and students at a Philadelphia Catholic school being disciplined for participating in a racist blackface video in, in February. I tell you what, guys, uh, bring Ray up, Rayvana up with me. I, I'm telling you, all of this indoctrination that, that the Republicans are talking about, the reason that they need uh, these moms who don't have school students in school districts to take over schools because people are being indoctrinated, I'm not seeing it. All I'm saying is a continuation of a miseducation of America, not just of black students, but on black history in general. The fact that we get the shortest month, we got an extra day this year, but the fact that we get the shortest month to teach kids about black history and then it's done in this horrible manner is absolutely disgusting, Ravana. Yeah, I mean, it, it is disturbing. And then you'll have the right wing response to that, which is, 
what about white history month, which incidentally happens to be every other month of the year in our American education system. I will say this coming out of West Charlotte High School is severely disappointing because West Charlotte High School is one of the only high schools that's still functioning that served black students during the era of segregation. It has a rich history as being involved with you know, desegregation. It played an essential role in the busing program programs to integrate schools. This is a school that was used as a model to show other schools how busing can be successful. And then obviously that success led to a Supreme Court deciding that they didn't need to do busing anymore. They didn't need to follow these models anymore because it's over, we solved it. And then there was regression as there was <laughs> all over the country. But it is a school that has a, has such a pivotal role in the civil rights movement in this country, that there are so many ways that you could just use its own history to educate the students, you know, during Black History Month. And the fact that instead of, you know, tapping into the unique role it played, it's just putting up lazy, racist, you know, segregation examples that serve no function as to actually educating the students about, you know, Black history this month. It's just, Again, it's just lazy uh, uh, racism, and it's something you know. We've covered so many different stories just in my three years here on TYT of schools doing mock slave auctions to demonstrate the ills of slavery and forcing the black students in the classrooms to stand up and be sold at a mock auction as if that's a good way to educate these students. I mean, surely there are hands-on learning methods that we could deploy that aren't horrifically racist, <laughs> it feels, in the core of it, it just feels bigoted and very lazy For from the, the school staff, the teachers that did this. I mean, truly despicable. Yeah, it's, 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 it is it's despicable. And, and it's not just the stu- school systems that are doing it. We also see it with students and students that are old enough to know better, right? In this picture here from Coco uh, Zena on, on X, formerly known as Twitter, we see in Philadelphia, uh, a group of female students laughed and filmed as one of them had blackface on while the other one sprayed her in the face with possible hairspray, calling her a slave. So we, we know that this country, had this untreated wound, uh, America's original sin, right? Uh, is still plaguing this country. And I think it will, because until we are uh, realistic about addressing the problem of racism in this country, we saw a wonderful model on how to do it in Germany, right? Germany has some, they're the closest place to come in to really recognize what truth and reconciliation looks like. Um, And we've not had that level of uh, reconciliation or or reparations, I shouldn't say or and reparations for what black people endured and endure in this country as it pertains to our history, our legacy in this country, and so much more. Uh, Ravonna, I'll give you the last word on this. Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, in reference to the story about uh, out of Philadelphia, I'll just say, you know, some people act as though we shouldn't put a you know a focus on you know racist activities if they're done by children but how else are you ever going to correct that action you know these people need to learn that actions have consequences and these are learned behaviors no one is born racist no one comes out the womb with racial prejudice they learn that in the environment they grow up in uh, so you know to to highlight these instances where uh, you know, it's other students who are be- being racist bullies and uh, perpetuating racism is really to also put a focus on that community and their households that accept this behavior. And particularly, uh, I don't think that specific instance was, but in other instances, it's happening 
at the school. And that shows a culture of the school accepting that racist behavior, the teachers accepting that racist behavior. And there's no way to solve it if it isn't called out. And that, that is a fact. Um, we're going to take a break right now. And in the words of the greatest poet and most educated person I know, Dr. Ritchie, stick and stay. We're back, y'all. We're back. And, uh, you know, we're, we're the show that stops for coming. So let me get to it. Over um over 9,000 over um, TYT member said, thank you for being a member, first of all. When those police reports say continue to resist, they mean didn't succumb to our attacks. That is absolutely correct. And we can't even minimize that. That is a fact. We see so often where people are arrested for resisting arrests, and that's the only charge they get. It is almost like a, a catch-all. It's a way that they can do whatever they want to with you. Um, Ravana, I see you nodding your head. I would love to hear what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, that is the case. And we'll, we'll see it deployed so often when the police have obviously engaged in an egregious act of violence against the individual and they realize afterwards or knew from the start that they weren't going to be able to pin uh, anything on them that would stick. And they know that sometimes even the resisting arrest charge won't stick, but that's a good way for them to cover their asses, you know, when they go to write up their report. Yeah, it's it's usually, uh, you know, a... Uh, let me say this in a copacetic way with the standards for TV. It's usually a, a bull crap uh, charge. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, sticking with, let's stick with the members on these comments because it's some good ones. This one is about the uh, Charlotte School District in West uh, Charlotte. It says, do they give out, well, actually it's about the, the preschool. It says, do they give out grades for racism to small children? I mean, do they? Because like, I don't even understand the nature of trying to teach black history by painting people's kids' face. Uh, this is absolutely ridiculous. If I had a child and if I saw my child in blackface or at a school where they were participating in it, that child would no my child would no longer be in that school and that school probably wouldn't no longer be providing school services to small children after I was finished with them. And that's that came from I am sock. Uh Lynn over on uh still TYT members said the problem with some teachers is they only teach black history during Black History Month. They need to educate themselves along with their students and make it a year-long endeavor. And that is the absolute correct uh, uh, thinking. When it was created, the thinking was never that adults would only participate in Black History in February. That was for small students. It was. It was the th the thinking was we would we would prepare ourselves for that month by learning Black History, teaching Black History year-round. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Over on YouTube, Benjamin Morrell said, dang, I got two days in a row with the dock crew. Today, um, and it's, he said, and it's the mayor and Slave Anya. What luck. It is luck whenever you have Slave Anya. Uh, Neil Whittington, thank you so much for that uh, donation. Hey, Mondale, have you written any cool songs with all of the news you report on TYT? I see your guitars over there. Well, actually, those guitars, are they belong to me and my wife. And we're actually learning. We're teaching ourselves to play the guitar. I know teaching ourselves to play the guitar cannot compare with all the degrees that Doc got. But y'all bear with me. It won't be long before I sing the blues for you. <laughs> America, give you those uh, space. We're going to go down to some of the YouTube members. Carla Nolan said, welcome to, uh, we want to welcome you to Indisputable. And thank you for becoming a member. Also, over on Twitch, we had Paper Dragon say, I've been waiting to ask you this a long time, Mayor. What's your beard oil and beard balm of choice? I only, only use Evan Allen. It's a great company. Be sure to uh, support small Black-owned company. They're doing great things, and their products never let you down. Beard oil and also shampoo and conditioning as well. Make sure you're using those products, y'all, if you want your uh, gray beard not to be so rough. Let's get into the show, and what better way to get back to the show? Then wishing to Karen Wood.
You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. If you're refunding my money, you have to give me cash. You guys pay with David, right? You guys pay with the David, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, sir. If you're telling me... It doesn't matter, sir. If you're telling me you're not giving me my food, I want my money back I didn't say that. I'm not giving you your food. I just request you guys to fresh food, right? I don't want to park. This is Celebrity McDonald's. This is Edmonton, Alberta, girl. I'm not parking. You're Edmonton. Where are you from? My where, car. You, where are you from? English. Where are Shut you from? Up, get a career. Seriously. For your life. Seriously. You're so sad. It's Seriously. Seriously. Now, anyways, grab us that, food. Okay. Okay. I was so nice to you, you guys. Why are you, you? Why are you using that word for me? I don't even know why you're talking to the passenger of my vehicle when I ordered the food at the window and I'm telling you that I don't want to park in reserve stall number two. And then you're using a word for me like single time. You guys listen to her. You're telling me that you want me to park. This isn't Celebrity McDonald's. Where Where is this place? Where is Celebrity McDonald's? I've never heard of that. Like beyond that. And I'm smiling, but it's I'm I'm smiling to keep from uh, getting the show kicked off from air from what I really want to say, because they were literally terrorizing this young lady in a way that was absolutely disgusting. The microaggression, where are you from? That question lines you up to be a racist. Whenever you ask someone where they're from, you're assuming they're not from where you are. And the idea that they're not, she don't speak English when she's speaking English directly to them is disgusting. And then it, the, the play with her in this manner is absolutely disgusting. I, I think um, I'm, I'm frustrated with it, Ravon. I don't even know what you feel. I mean, it is, first of all, the audacity to say, where are you from when you're living on stolen land uh, in Canada uh, as that white couple in the car is is really hypocritical and despicable. Um, but I, there is just such a Karen mentality where you are so entitled, really, because that's that's what it's all about, is that everything is about me. I don't need to go park in stall number two. When I pull up to the drive-thru, you know, my, uh, uh, the people who make my treats for me uh, <laughs> for, for despicably low wages need to have it ready to go. Um, and he's, it, one of the parts of the video, he's saying, like, I know you're just trying to hit your targets, right? I know you're just trying to get that uh, number in for your job or whatever. So you tell me so you can get as many customers through as possible. It's like, yeah, um, because she's working a low-wage job and doesn't want to get fired. Yeah, she wants to meet her targets and your food's not ready. So park your damn car, you ridiculous and racist people. Jesus. Yeah, and I mean, like, and don't even worry about it. Because what Reguano is talking about, we're going to let you see it. Check out this tape right here. You're telling me you that you want me to park. Your you're telling me that you want me to park because you're on a timer to make your time good at McDonald's. Of course. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care about your time at McDonald's or how long Girl, it takes to make my food or about your timing. I ordered food. I want my food. If you're not giving my food, give me my money back. Of course. I'm giving money back. You guys tap your card. I lost. You guys tap your card. I lost. I lost my debit card. I'm sorry. I can't find it. My God. The lady just tapped on her phone. I know, but I lost it. I can't find it. I'm sorry. I'm not giving cash. It's going to be a big lawsuit tomorrow. Like, I'm telling you right now, I'm pulling my lawyer. Like, you and McDonald's is getting sued big time. Oh, yeah. 100%. Did I say something wrong to you guys? Your whole family's going to go back to... No. Nothing to do with me.
I don't even know why you're talking to my passenger, but anyways. Shut up, you're having a meltdown. Work. You're you're here to get paid to get work. Get off the phone and work. Why are you? I do. I do work. What do you do? You don't work. Look at you guys. You guys don't listen to me at all. If you guys you need a money back, I said you guys money. You tap your card to get your money back. Don't worry, I got 50,000 followers on Instagram. I'm gonna post this video. You're like. You're, you're like this is going. I will get my cash then. I want my cash. You didn't pay cash. You pay by the dollar. It wasn't. I'm calling my lawyer. What lawyer? You don't have a lawyer. You're in the parking lot terrorizing this young lady. The, the idea that you told her to work. Let her. You won't even let her work. She's trying to work. She's trying to get the next people food out because it's prepared, and you ordered something. The idea that this guy tried to lie and say I lost my car. She was like, you didn't. You didn't use a card. Sir, it was the lady's phone, but she don't want to tap her phone. It's absolutely disgusting. You're gonna get sued tomorrow, big time. This is this is Trump. Trump can't. This is Canadian Trump in a McDonald's drive-through, big time. You're gonna get sued. No, you're not. You're and then he's he's right about one thing. He's definitely going viral, but not for his video. For him being in this video, this is disgusting behavior to the to the utmost. But check this out. This ain't even it. Watch how it ends. I don't have the phone. I'm sorry. Oh, that's the lady phone, right? You can tap it. She again. doesn't want to tap her phone. She wants the money. Wow, seriously, you guys. You can't rip me off for my money. Like that's theft. I, I can phone the police. I, I can phone the police and have you charged you with can theft. Call. You can call. Sir. I, I will. I will. I will call the police. Ravana, I'm not a listen. I'm I'm not a genius or anything. You graduated from law school. Is this theft? I mean, I will say thank you to this guy for helping me check off so many squares on my Karen Bingo card uh, because he he hit all of the uh, fan favorites. You know, he said he had a lawyer, which, by the way, unless you uh, <laughs> unless you're finding yourself frequently in in litigation or you're a large corporation, you don't have a lawyer on retainer. Shut the hell up. Uh, he threatened to sue uh, with no basis for suing. Um, he uh, threatened to call the cops. Uh, <laughs> so that's three in a row. Just needed a couple more to, to oh, well, harassing drive through worker. That's a big one in the Karen industry. Um, I mean, she's literally trying to give him his money back. And uh, because he doesn't actually care about the money, he just wants to feel uh, right. He just wants to harass uh, you know, a service worker, him and his uh, girlfriend, wife. I don't know. They just want to tag team harass this woman. It's not about getting their money back. It's not even about getting their food at this point. It's attempting, you know, as you pointed out, to go viral and then ending up going viral for the exact opposite reason. I mean, but it does go to show the fact that both of them are holding up their phones and recording. That they really, and you know, and I think this is the 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 brain disease of Karenicity. They think they're in the right while they are sitting there harassing this woman, uh, you know, being racist to her, particularly the woman in the the passenger seat. You know, then he says, "Don't talk to her," as if she wasn't just yelling at her and swearing at her. Um, and and you know, they have to threaten to call the police because. Again, in their minds, in their deeply corroded minds, they think that they're in the right and that other people will see this and think that they look good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, and the problem for my soul is the, there's always this notion that authority is on my side as a caring, right? Like, I'm going to call the police. I've not done anything wrong and you've wronged me. The wrong is you're sitting in this drive through harassing this person trying to serve you. 
Her Atlanta Black Star and local outlet WPXI, NWCP leaders in Penn Hills, Pennsylvania, want police to investigate this man, the one you're looking at, who was the manager at a restaurant chain called Big Shot Bob's. After he was caught on video at a shooting range shouting the N-word, according to the restaurant owner, the man has been fired since the video started circulating online. In the video, the man whose name hasn't been released, of course not, is seen firing a gun at a target while yelling, stop, you effing N-word. Big Shot Bob's customer, Erica Johnson, who spoke with WPXI, told the outlet that the video was completely disturbing, adding that during her visits, the man's behavior always gave her pause, saying, quote, his his behavior has always been questionable. He carries a gun kind of rude, and he makes uh, distinctions between people. We can dive into what distinctions mean, but we about know what it means, uh, judging from his behavior at the fire range. The NAACP and uh, Alliance for People Accountability or Police Accountability found the video so unsettling that they're calling for a police investigation. Dalen Davis on the left, the president of local NAACP chapter saying, quote, you have an individual enjoying shooting a gun, targeting blacks and branding uh, Brandy Fisher on the right, CEO of the Alliance for Police Accountability, also stated, quote, I think we need to take things like this very seriously and not wait for something to happen. Uh, the Big Shot Bob's chain has several locations in the Pittsburgh area. The shop in Penn Hill, situated right outside of Pittsburgh, is independently owned and operated. The owner released a statement to WPXI confirming the man had been fired but there's always a but, right? Relaying that he was utterly disappointed with himself. Was he now uh, for saying this slur? We are deeply saddened and embarrassed by this content on the video. The person was released. He was utterly disappointed. Listen at this. He was utterly disappointed with himself for saying those things and is not the kind of person, is he now? However, it was said, and that sentiment is not shared by anyone in this store or any other location. BSB, Thinking that's mean Big Shot Bob is a great diverse organization and that will not be tolerated. That is according to the owner of Big Shot Bob in Penn Hill. And he told that to WPXI. Listen, this is absolutely disgusting behavior. It is absolutely who he is. He's not, he is not ashamed that he said those words and used that slur. He's only ashamed that he was caught saying it out loud. First of all, this owner is uh, accountable to this person's behavior. Why in the hell would you have a, a person working in a fast food restaurant bringing a gun to work? Is serving chicken that dangerous? And if it is, you need security. You don't need a manager being the security guard, especially when he has uh, these, these ideas of certain people talking about black people and how you feel about them. Shooting at targets, screaming, stop you effing N-word. Ravana. I mean, just after reading that statement, I think that BSB doesn't stand for uh, a big shot Bob, but bullshoot Bob, because that is an absolutely ridiculous statement to put out. It wasn't some unfortunate accident. This is somebody who uh, is violently racist. If you actually don't hold those beliefs in your heart, you will never find yourself yelling the N-word. It's actually quite simple. If you're not racist, there's no circumstance that is going to make you use a racial slur. Or if you're not bigoted, if you don't have uh, you know, this violent prejudice, you will never in some fit of rage or in any circumstance find yourself using a slur because it's not something that accidentally happens to you if you say it in a moment of rage or in some moment of excitement. It's because you believe that. 
It's because that's something you say frequently or want to say frequently. And he's not, you know, he's shooting a gun at a target and imagining himself shooting black people. So naturally, of course, black customers should not feel safe at Big Shot Bob's. This is a, and allowing him to carry this gun around at work. I mean, it feels like a threat to the black community that it was being served by this restaurant. Uh, so, you know, the, in the statement to defend him, he feels horrible. No, he doesn't. He feels horrible that he lost his job. And his name hasn't even been released yet. So he hasn't even gotten a fraction of the criticism, a fraction, uh, you know, of the repercussions that should be coming his way. And once that name comes out there, then he's going to actually start feeling all of the pressure that he should have been getting from the beginning. But he doesn't feel sorry, again, that he said it. He's not, uh, you know, doing anything to better himself, to unlearn his racist tendencies. He's just angry that he lost some employment, but he had that person filming that video of him. He was proud to say it in the moment, but just when a little bit of repercussions came his way, then suddenly, oh, I'm not racist and I'm so sorry I did it. Yeah, BS. Yeah, and I, I don't understand why the black community also are not outraged or calling for uh, some kind of protest or, you know, uh, stay away from um, BSB, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that statement was not an apology. Not by a long shot. The idea that you said the man, the owner said he's not that person. No, he's absolutely that person. You all don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You all, we are watching Indisputable. Uh, filling in for Dr. Richie is Mundell Robinson, and my co-host is Rivana. Listen, <clears throat> our network and show have persevered over the years despite hostility from media and political pressures. But we can't continue to do that without your help. With millions watching, you, that's right, you can be the difference. Help us hit 1%, just 1% of our viewers supporting Indisputable via paid membership on YouTube. Click join today. Thank you so much. Let's get into some comments from our viewers. Over on uh, TYT members, we got... Um, we got the same two people talking. I like y'all. Y'all are active. Over 9,000 said it really seems like drive through Karen is trying to pull some scam, trying to get cash when they didn't use their cash. I literally was thinking the same thing. Like, why are, they saying, why are they saying they're willing to drive off if you give them cash? And it's like, you know you can't get cash back if you didn't pay with cash. So I, I, I think you might be right. We should be checking and make sure that's her iPhone. Did she just steal somebody's phone? Rayvonne, what do you think? I mean, that's yeah, I was also thinking this sounds like a, a, a pretty common scam that I'll be honest, some of my friends used to run <laughs> back in high school, not at the uh, not at the drive through at McDonald's, but, you know, returning clothes and asking for cash anyway, you know, I'm <laughs> not trying to incriminate them. But yeah, it is just it sounds like a scam. They're just ripping. They're trying to rip them off. And so but, you know, just uh, the lawyer in me wants to tell people if you're planning on ripping someone off, maybe don't film it. Maybe don't film it on your phone. <laughs> that part, that part. Listen, uh, let's give Twitch some love. Over on Twitch, uh, ZB's514 said, uh, actually, they shouldn't even say rephrase. They actually fixed it for him. They said, let's rephrase uh, that part of our anthem uh, from our home to own native lands. Absolutely. That's that's exactly what Canada, the United States, and most of the, the new world is. It's native land where people were actually killed to be taken from. So that's a fact. Sassy McSass Face Dragon, still on Twitch, said uh, the woman was in car with fire, was a server herself. 
And, oh, she was fired, I'm sorry. And she was a server herself. And the man has been identified as an owner of a local barn grill. I hope he, I hope that barn grill gets shut down uh, with all the power of native ancestors. David Morris over on YouTube said that Jackass thinks by filming, uh, filming the worker, he'll be the hero of the story. Shade Dragon, still on YouTube, said, customers are not always right. Service people are always human and deserve respect and dignity as people. That is an absolutely fact. People forget that during the COVID, these are the only people still going into office to ensure that people could have some food um, that didn't feel like cooking. So these people are also, uh, I like to call them first responders as well, because they have to deal with people like those two people in the car. Now to, now to find out that both of them people worked in the service industry is absolutely dastardly to me. And I can't even wrap my head around the fact that you work in the service industry and think it's okay to treat someone that you know that is underpaid and overworked in this manner. Rivana. Yeah. I mean, you know, I worked, uh, you know, in childcare, not exactly the service industry, but, you know, sometimes you'd have parents come in and just rag on you after a long day of taking care of their children. And it sucks. It sucks. And these people, you know, service workers, they're doing this job uh, often for no benefits and bad pay uh, and, you know, poor working conditions, um, poor management in these large corporations. And then for you, some entitled Word I cannot say on this show, but I'm thinking very hard to come through the drive through to make their lives even more of a hell than it already was. I don't understand. Those people are truly menaces to society. You are <laughs> breaking down our society by that type of asocial behavior. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And and to get back into the news, speaking of asocial behavior and people breaking out of society, uh, this next story is uh, is prime prime of that. A cop pranked 911 calls at another local police department. That's right, a cop pranked 911 calls at another local police department in Alabama. A Montgomery police officer named Christopher Eugene Sanspree Jr. He's somebody's junior is now on desk duty. After allegedly making at least six, six calls to a police department in a different jurisdiction while on duty, falsely claiming to have witnessed an array of violent crimes. Uh, according to Prattville's police department, Prattville's police chief Mark Thompson said the motive remained unclear, but claimed that the defendant said he thought it was funny. According to Montgomery NBC affiliate WSFA, Prattville Police Department investigators determined that Sanspree made several phone calls to Otago County Emergency 911 to falsely report incidents, also known as swatting. Prattville officers wrote in an online statement on Thursday. This is according to uh, Law and Crime. Point blank, honest with you, it pissed me off, Thompson said when uh, asked his thoughts about Sanspree's alleged, alleged, what he allegedly did. He referenced unrelated false calls that turned out uh, to be a, a ambushes. And he voiced frustration with the defendant making the calls uh, with full knowledge of what police officers have to go through. Again, that's law and crime. The alleged false reports reportedly included seeing a male suspect running a, about with a machete People breaking into vehicles and a person line apparently shot in the front yard. Prattville police said that the calls happened October the 30th through late December. Though they are working with law enforcement counterparts in Georgia, Massachusetts, and Wyoming to see if there are any connections to swatting incidents there. 
Again, law and crime reported. He is reportedly out on bond. He's out on bond. Now check out the second part. After being arrested on February 7th on six warrants for false reporting an incident, Sansbury is on administrative assignment. According to Captain Ray Carson in the uh, Montgomery Police Department Office of Professional Standards, and that too is according to law crime. Listen, the fact that this person is still a police officer, the fact that he is still at work is absolutely disgusting because he didn't make a mistake and report something he thought he saw. He was on duty calling into another jurisdiction and also thought it was funny. This is according to him. He thought it was funny. This is this shouldn't be considered a prank. This shouldn't be considered swatting. Uh, when police officers, actually when anyone do it, it's dangerous. But when police officers do it, it is absolutely disgusting. And I would love to hear those calls and hear if he said he was a police officer from a different, a different jurisdiction because there should be other crimes associated with that. Ravana. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's nothing funny about this. It's not a prank. Swatting kills people. It has killed several people in the past. It's something that you know, we've seen a lot of people who are online influencers who get doxxed. Um, it's weaponized against them and it's weaponized against them to try to kill them. It is you are calling a gun to a scene, especially when the situations that you're describing are so serious. Uh, the ones that you fabricated are so serious. You're going to get a strong police response to that. Um, and that means a lot of people with guns showing up to a scene. And if there's an innocent person there, they could lose their life. Nothing about it is funny, but what I, you know, this is a good opportunity to talk about is that this dumbass was given a gun and a license to kill by a police department, a gun and a license, which he still apparently retains because he's, you know, been moved to administrative duty, but he is still a police officer, still getting his salary. He is still getting the full benefits of that job, despite the fact that he has been arrested and charged with a crime and his only defense for for his behavior his conduct was i thought it was funny i just need people to think about what little effort goes into looking in the backgrounds of these individuals before they are hired as police officers before again they're given a gun and a license to kill this person should not have passed any sort of psychological exam if there was one, if there was a, a an actual meaningfully rigorous one to become a police officer, to hold that position in society. And again, I, I just implore everybody watching to think about the hurdles you had to jump through to get the job you have, the background checks that you had to go through to get the job that you have. And chances are the job you have doesn't give you a gun and a license to kill. You know, even the back the checks we have to go through to become attorneys because we are given a higher position of power in society, uh, but we aren't given the the means to kill somebody. But even we have to go through extremely rigorous uh, background checks to get our license to practice law. They'll give any schmuck off the street, any idiot, uh, the, the license to kill civilians and become a police officer. And that just goes to show that they don't actually care about serving and protecting their communities. If they did, they would want the best and the brightest. They would want the people that they know could handle the job, not some idiot who's laughing while he's uh, wasting police resources at a different department and potentially killing somebody in the process. Absolutely. And listen, I, I also think we need to rethink using the word allegedly, right? This is this is to me, this is this is bad police language. This man has admitted to doing it and mm -hmm. said it was funny. Right? This is not someone who is disputing the act. 
he didn't dispute that. He literally said it was funny. And that was the reason he did it. No other reason, just that it was funny. This is absolutely disgusting. And the fact that they are checking with other states means that there's some evidence leading that he might have done this in other states to other people. And we need to know the outcome of that. And instead of them sending him home without a job, they just let him come work an easier shift and give him the same pay. This is this is beyond dangerous. This is predatory. And speaking of predatory cops, this next story is absolutely disgusting. There's a predator cop prosecuted for abusing 19 men in his custody. In St. Louis, uh, Marcellus Blackwell, a former St. Louis police officer, has been slammed with a 36 count indictment after a group of men came forward accusing Blackwell of groping, sodomizing, and other cruel claims of sexual abuse. Uh, look, this is his picture right here. Blackwell exposure began back in June when he was arrested for sexually assaulting a man whom he handcuffed near a high school court record show. In September, he was indicted in the federal court on 16 felonies after being accused of groping eight men he'd detained. Soon, more victims came out to share their experiences and expanded, my God, the list of counts. This is according to the rule. The federal indictment includes graphics. Uh, graphic details of instances in which men accuse Blackwell of sodomizing them with his fingers or finger and filling up under their clothing without the intent to do a police search. Authorities say they recovered a slew of video and photo evidence of these allegation encounters of his personal and work phone, my guy, on his work phone. Some of those photos appear to be taken covertly in areas like elevators, or bathrooms, according to court documents, still sticking with the root. How he tried to cover up his crimes? The defendant acting in relation to and in contemplation of a matter within the jurisdiction of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, an agency of the United States knowingly altered, concealed, covered up, and falsified a record with the intent to impede, obstruct, and influence the investigation and proper administration of that matter. Specifically, the defendant knowingly altered, concealed, covered up, and falsified an NCPC record by including a false statement in his written report of the arrest. And that's what the document read according to the rule. Blackwell worked for the North County Police Cooperative for just over a year until the men stated, uh, started, I'm sorry, coming forward with their testimonies per the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He resigned, followed, he resigned, how? Following the first indictment, now he's facing 19 counts of deprivation of rights under color of law and 17 counts of altering records in a uh, federal investigation. The FBI in St. Louis encouraged anyone to dial 314-589-2682 to reach a hotline for any more people who wish to come forth about their encounters with the former cop. And that's according to the rule. I don't even know what to say about this, except for my my God. The, I, first of all, why in the hell are police officers taking people in the bathroom? Where and how did anybody allow that to happen without any questions arising? This man was so brave that he didn't just use his personal phone. He used his work phone, which could be subjected to um, uh, information requests at any given time. This is a disgusting behavior. And we need to know if any other cops knew about this or why in the hell was he so comfortable using uh, police property to do this, uh, Ravana? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely, the, you know, the extent to which he was abusing his position of power suggests that, you know, there needs to be an investigation, not just into him, but into the culture of the department that allowed this to go on for, you know, a full year before uh, before it was revealed. And only because of the bravery of the uh, the victims who came forward and reported his misconduct. Now, I do want to say, you know, I think that the right wing in America um, has done a really good job at rewriting what sexual assault is in terms more favorable to their uh, particularly misogynistic agenda. Uh, but they'll frame it as a crime of wanting to have sex with someone who doesn't want to have sex with you, which it is not. It is a crime of power. And that's why, you know, in this case, we see him in a position of power, abusing it uh, uh, to rape, to uh, sexually assault, and to molest these individuals, you know, who were men under his protection or supposed to be under his protection. Um, not because, you know, you know, he might be a, a gay person or anything like that, but it is a crime of, uh, you know, getting off to you abusing your power. That's what the at the heart of sexual assault is. It is a, a crime of power abuse. And that's why we see it uh, a lot in prisons and we see it, you know, in police departments. Um, but also he probably thought he could get away with it because there's a, a, you know, a shame to the victims that they often feel when coming forward, you know, particularly, uh, you know, if you've been abused by another man, an embarrassment that is wrong and no one should be forced to feel it, but it's been perpetuated in our society. So you often find that uh, men who are the victims of sexual assault by other men are less likely to come forward about it. Um, because of that, the perpetuation of that that uh, stigma, that shame, despite the fact that they are victims and they were absolutely so brave to come forward and tell their stories, especially, you know, being individuals who are uh, you know, some of them incarcerated, who are under arrest, who are supposed to, you know, be under police protection uh, to some extent or in their care, as it were, um, that they know that the system could then turn around and abuse them further just for coming forward with with their stories and, and the crimes that were committed against them. So they're absolutely brave. Uh, and, you know, they should be further protected down the line from, you know, potential retaliation from police departments for, you know, stepping forward and sharing their stories. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, 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 and it's so disgusting to me that, you know, people can't like you said, make this a, about power, and which it is. It's all it's about. Um, and we should not miss the moment right now to announce that. I mean, we're not even announce, acknowledge what it means to be a woman in the hands of these people with this much mm -hmm. power over you, this much dominion over you. We see when women are transferred, uh, they're more likely to be sexually assaulted by police officers or correctional officers. So we, this just highlight what it means to be in that much custody when people have the right to have dominion over you. And it's absolutely uh, something that this society, our society need to be working on and trying to figure out in a real way. Uh, stick and stay. We'll be back. There's a philanthropist. He's asking rich white people to pay reparations. That's right. Her Atlanta Black Star, New York philanthropist Ed Mitzen, author of Wealthy and White, Why Guys Like Me Have to Show Up and Step Up and Give Others a Hand Up, told CNN this week he was deeply moved by the ongoing legal plight of the last three living survivors of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre, leading him to donate $3 million in 2022 to help them. While he criticized public officials in Oklahoma for stalling compensation efforts, Mitzen called on other wealthy white Americans to contribute to reparations, citing the lack of action from state 
and federal government. That is powerful. Here's the CNN interview about that. I can't give them justice, but I can give them generosity. Saratoga Springs millionaire Ed Mitson decided to take reparations into his own hands after witnessing the legal struggle of three people who survived the 1921 Tulsa massacre, all of them over 100 years old. And it just made me angry. Uh, you know, I was sitting there thinking, what happened to them is irrefutable. Whether or not it happened 102 years ago or two years ago, it happened. It's undeniable. And it felt to me like the, the government out there was trying to run the clock out on these folks. And I just felt like I'm in a position that I can make their lives a little bit better so that they know that um, whenever it's their time to leave this earth, they know that their families are a little bit better off today than they were yesterday. I think a lot of people look at issues like reparations. They look at those issues as black issues. Right. You feel that they're not just black issues, these are American issues. Absolutely, and, and I think that um, Many folks fear that if other people rise up, that they're going to somehow get pushed down. And it's not a zero-sum game. If we can get everybody up the curve, um, we're a much better country for it. And, and I, I truly believe that it's, it's our responsibility in the white community to, to, to look at ourselves and look at the advantages that we've had and, and try to give those same advantages to other people that have been left behind. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's so hard for our federal government to act on what that last statement he just said. It's not like America doesn't have a history of reparations. It's just no history of reparations for black people. America helped set up the Nuremberg trials, right? America also paid Japanese Americans, rightfully so, um, for putting them in internment camps. So it's not, it's not like we don't have a history. We know what to do. It's just that they we're not willing to do it. Uh, two years ago, Mittens, New York-based nonprofit Business for Good, donated $1 million to each of the aging survivors. While no, uh, no federal, state, or local government entities has still never paid a cent to the descendants of Tulsa victims whose entire livelihood were wiped out 100 years ago. The last three survivors, Viola Fletcher, who's 109 years old, wow. Leslie Benfield, Randall, 108 years old, and Hugh Van Ellis Sr., who died in October at the age of 102, filed their initial reparation lawsuit in 2020, nearly a century after one of the worst episodes of racial violence in U.S. history. Um, we, I, I need to stop and pause right here. People, people, the tragedy is, I. This is for a few reasons. I hate when people call Tussle Black Wall Street. For anybody to know anything about Wall Street, Wall Street wealth, the name of Wall Street is where in New York, the first street, the original slave auctioning block was. So referring to what they were doing in Tulsa as something as exploitive as uh, selling slaves is absolutely horrible to me. What Tulsa was, people 102 years, 103 years ago now, uh, in the face of the most racist uh, institutions talking about America was still finding a way to thrive. That's what Tulsa was. That was not Wall Street. That is still not Wall Street. Wall Street today is still about a grift. That is not what was happening with these people. They were building and created wealth um, by surviving up as a community. And Rayvon, I think it's important that we acknowledge that difference. This is why I never refer to Tulsa as Black Wall Street or any of other communities throughout America that suffered the same tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely uh, ignoring the the history of what Wall Street is, and uh, you know, and even if you're just looking at modern Wall Street, it's a, a corrupt institution that has a pretty bad reputation. And so, you know, applying that uh, nickname to it is just not you know accurate at all. I will say it's really 
you know, sad that these victims had to live. And, you know, you know, God, God bless. Hopefully we all are able to, you know, live that long in our lives, but they had to, to live, you know, a hundred years after that they suffered that horrific tragedy to, to get something out of it. And it wasn't even from the state. It wasn't from the government of this country. It was from one man who, you know, happened to feel moved to, you know, give back to them. Um, and that's a tragedy. And, you know, I'm glad that he's spreading this message. It's a, a it's an objectively good thing, but it really does highlight that, you know, there'll never be enough philanthropists to actively, uh, you know, enact reparations in the way that they need to be in this country. It has to come from the federal government. And as you pointed out, we know they can do it. They gave reparations in the past to the victims of uh, Japanese internment, but they also gave reparations to slave owners in this country, but we can't give reparations to the actual victims of slavery and and their descendants. And we know for a fact, still suffer uh, the repercussions and still feel the uh, the massive economic disparity uh, and wealth disparity from the res- as the direct result of uh, slavery in this country. It should be a no brainer, but the systemic racism runs so deep and and it is ingrained, and the response to it is the pushback is always so stupid. You know, I didn't own a slave. So why should I have to pay? Well, first of all, you as an individual white person in this country are not handing $20 to a black person. That's not what the reparations is. It's not what people are asking for. Um, But also you have reaped benefits uh, as a white person in this country from the system of slavery, particularly in, you know, as he's pointing out, the wealthy white people in this country, uh, you know, most of them directly in their their family lineage gained that wealth through the institution of uh, of slavery in this country and to the detriment of black americans and so uh, that's a little bit of a different circumstance but everyone's paying into taxes you never complain about all the million other things that your tax dollars are going to uh, and, and you know it's it's not just you know it's just such a dumb misunderstanding of what reparations is but it, so to an issue that really should be a no brainer it is so obvious that we need to, uh, this country needs to give reparations to the descendants of slaves. It's just, I'm sorry, it's just so so absurd to me that people can't wrap their minds around how clear and obvious doing this should be and how, you know, this is just a small uh, way to to start to right the wrong. <laughs> this historic massive injustice, as you referred to it earlier in the show, America's original sin. It just blows my mind, the bad faith interpretations of the argument. I think I think it's important that people understand interest. If people, if, and if everybody can wrap their head around interest, then you understand how you benefited and how this country has set up black people to fail and not have as much wealth uh, as other folk, especially those slave owners. And I would say, as a good starting point for Black History Month for many people, you should really look at what uh, Ravana was talking about when she said slave owners were paid reparations because every slave they lost, they definitely got money from the government about that. So Atlanta Black Star continued to cover this and they said, uh, modern courts have persistently denied any payouts to the descendants due to the long time that has passed since the massacre. As demonstrated in 2005 when the US Supreme Court declined to hear a reparations appeal from tussle victims. No other domestic nonprofit entity has ever stepped up on reparations in a big way like Mittens have. 
with many conservative lawmakers wanting to turn the page on the country's racist history. You can't turn the page on the racist history when we're still dealing with it. Atlanta Blackstar continued and said, more than 20 years ago, Tulsa commissioned a study that determined more than 1,000 homes and businesses were destroyed as the black financial district was ransacked. While the financial toll on the damages was estimated at $27 million in today's dollar, but when the 2020 case was reexamined through the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, it was too late as the statute of limitation had passed for survivors to file a lawsuit against the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Blackstar went on to say a new reparations lawsuit was filed in March 2021 and proceeded for more than two years before it was dismissed by a lower court last summer, prompting the appeal courts currently before the Oklahoma uh, Supreme Court, the civil action named the city of Tulsa. Tulsa County Sheriff, County Commissioners, County Commissioners, and the Oklahoma Military Department of Defendants, or as defendants, sorry. And that, of course, like I said, was according to Black Star. Previously, Tulsa County District, uh, District Court Judge Carolyn Wall allowed the lawsuit to move forward in 2022, but she dismissed the case in July 2023 after city attorney successfully argued that simply by uh, being connected to a historical event does not provide a person with unlimited rights to seek compensation from any project in any way related to that historical event. That is absolutely dumb as hell. And that is the logic that uh, Ravonna was talking about that makes no sense. That is, very, this, is a, this is a monetary thing. You took houses, land, and businesses being connected to that and it being taken illegally definitely entitles you and your family to that thing. This is ridiculous to me beyond belief. Uh, Atlanta Black Star went on to say that Wall made, uh, talking about the judge, made the ruling despite the appeal noting the advanced ages of the plaintiffs while asking the court to give the survivors an opportunity before they die. And there are no other survivors of the massacre to take the stand, take an oath and tell an Oklahoma court what has happened to them, their families and their community. The ruling by the state highest court will ultimately determine whether the case is sent back to Judge Wall for trial. Again, that's according to Atlanta Blackstar. The lawsuit claims violation of Oklahoma's public nuisance laws, arguing that the legacy of the massacre still impacts the black community after more than a century, and they should recover from an unjust enrichment others gained from. That's a legal term that we're gonna ask Ravonna to explain in a second. Uh, illegal and unjust enrichment others gained from exploitation of the massacre. Previously, Assistant Oklahoma Attorney General Kevin McClure disputed the claims in the current lawsuit, asserting that they were premised on conflicting historical facts. Conflicting historical facts. Are you kidding me? From over 100 years ago, and that the plaintiffs failed to properly allege how the Oklahoma Military Department created an ongoing public nuisance. Ravana, this is this is gaslighting. Um, institutional gaslighting. And this is what we mean about systemic racism. When you act in this manner, when all of these actors play their role to continue a uh, hundred plus year terror on these on these last three surviving, it is absolutely uh, disgusting, but it's also as American as apple pie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I just want to say, just to show the bad faith uh, interpretations and legal arguments uh, uh, that were presented and the decision by the judge, uh, the argument that was presented uh, was that that this would be some sort of novel legal concept that these individuals would be able to uh, seek reparations for the uh, injustice they suffered uh, just because they had some connection to a historical event and they claimed that it would be an unlimited uh, uh, an unlimited right to do so, which is patently absurd. They aren't 
they weren't presenting a novel argument. They were seeking to be made whole for uh, an injustice they suffered that inarguably, inarguably, you can trace the uh, the unjust enrichment of the uh, the people who uh, unjustly enriched themselves from the massacre, and you can trace how it affected these individuals detrimentally financially. And they did that. And they calculated that. This wasn't some far-reaching request. It wasn't, again, it was, I mean, it would have been novel in, in rewarding reparations to Black Americans in this country, but it wasn't novel in the argument as, as it pertains to the law. This is how uh, decisions are made every single day in courts as to financial restitution. So it is, and they they rely on assuming that the people who are seeing this news won't know that information and and assuming that you know when the story comes out people will just uh, accept the argument they presented as fact but it's completely bad faith and just not accurate as to what they were requesting so just despicable i mean i guess that's my word of the day with all these stories but truly truly heinous stuff and you know the system of uh, our legal system itself the the history of its racism cannot be uh, overstated i mean founded yeah, I mean, and steeped in in racism yeah that's that and that's a fact like let's let's just remind people real quick what we're talking about the may 31st uh, 1921 massacre unfolded after a white mob falsely accused a young black man of assaulting a white woman leading to a confrontation that quickly escalated into bloodshed the white mob helped by the national guard attacked the prosperous tulsa a prosperous sorry tulsa neighborhood of greenwood and set it ablaze as many as 300 black citizens were reportedly killed and hundreds more injured. Nearly 10,000 people were left homeless amid the ruins of what happened or had been on one of the most profitable districts in the Midwest at the time. And uh, Atlanta Black Star went on to say that in the years that followed, public officials sought to expunge any reference to the massacre in the city's historical record, while the survivors and their families never received a dime in compensation from the city or state. The topic of reparation remains a hot issue among Democrats amid the 2024 race as President Joe Biden faced growing criticism for not taking any meaningful action on reparation since he took office more than three years ago, especially since he promised black people on his last name that he would make it a priority. So that is a fact. CDC has a $5 million scholarship for Tuskegee Airmen descendants. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention Foundation has announced a new scholarship program for the descendants of the infamous federal Tuskegee Airmen experiment. In this appalling study, hundreds of black men were left untreated for syphilis for decades. The foundation launched the Voices Today for Change Tomorrow scholarship for the victims' relatives on February 7th. Uh, according to the CDC uh, archives, that's where that picture comes from. Now, the CDC Foundation, which describes itself as an independent nonprofit and the sole entity created by Congress to mobilize philanthropic and private sector resources to support the Centers uh, for Disease Control and Prevention's critical health protection work, aims to raise $5 million for the Voices for uh, other, Our Father's Legacy Foundation created by descendants in 2014. The plan is to provide $100,000 in scholarship annually. The effort follows uh, a financial commitment from the Millbank Memorial Fund in 2022. That's according to Atlanta Black Star. Let me stop right now and just get you get your voice in on that, Ravana. Because listen, people need to understand that these they didn't just leave them untreated in their homes. They literally lied to these people. 
and acted as if they were treating them. And they just wanted to see the long-term effect of what this disease would do to people. This is just one of many problems that black people had and have with the medical system that thinks there's a higher tolerance with black people as it pertains to pain. Yeah, and we still see that medicalized, as you just point out, that medicalized racism existing uh, today. You know, there's uh, these ridiculous claims in our medical system that uh, black women have superhuman strength and, uh, you know, in instances where they are agitated could, you know, engage and they become more threatening to police officers. And it's perpetuated through our uh, our our health system is perpetuated by uh, you know first responders by paramedics and and used to justify disproportionate force used against uh, uh, black women and black men in America. Uh, as you just pointed out, the idea that uh, black people have higher pain tolerances is used regularly to dismiss uh, reports of of pain felt by black people in our health system and and the the legacy of these experiments uh, as, as just also damaged uh, trust between. Uh, public health systems and, and you know uh, health institutions in the black community, and so this is the very bare minimum that they could be doing, you know, to try to right that wrong. Um, I'll say, you know, the amount of money that they're promising—it sounds like a lot on paper, but I mean, as, as as far as how much, how far that goes in reality, I mean, goddamn, it's not enough—not <laughs> nearly enough. Uh, you know, and I don't want to just see the CDC trying to write this wrong. I'd like to see more action from. Yeah, yeah, you know, from, from maybe Congress, although God knows that they yeah. <laughs> aren't going aren't gonna to be moving on that immediately. Right. And, and, and if we can skip to the next to the last graphic, because uh, the, I think people need to understand we're not talking about something that happened ancient times. There's something that happened seven years before I was born. The unethical study was halted shortly after a blockbuster story from the Associated Press in 1972. The event often is cited as a large contributor to the medical mistrust throughout black community, according to the AP. The men received a multi-million dollar settlement and President Bill Clinton called it a shameful, uh, called it shameful in his apology in 1997. And again, that's according to Atlanta Black Star. Now, the reason I wanted to read that is because I want people to understand that this is not uh, unrealistic to believe that people's family were affected by that. And as Rayvana said, that is not a lot of uh, uh, recourse for the family. I will say this, Bill Clinton is pretty rich that he was talking about it when he was sending dirty blood to our neighbors to the South from people that were in prison, um, uh, people that he knew had diseases. He was sharing that blood, selling that blood for when he was governor of Arkansas. So I'll just say there, we've reached a point where we need to tell people how they can get in contact with you, Rayvana. Yeah, absolutely. First, uh, thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure as always. Uh, uh, everybody can see my videos for Rebel HQ on YouTube as well as Facebook. Um, and uh, follow me on Instagram, just my name, Ravana, and also on Twitter, um, twitter.com slash TTV. Also, I've gotten a couple uh, messages from people asking, telling me that they had stories for the show, and we've gotten them on the show. So if you're ever looking for a way to reach out, you can also always send them in my DMs too. And I'm Mundell Robinson filling in for Dr. Richie. This has been indisputable. Guys, we love you. Don't forget, we need 1% of you to subscribe. Thank you and have a wonderful day. See you on the next one.